you are. We well, we are in the HR studio. You are in the HR studio. I like these ones. It's hard and fast. Like we met what three weeks ago, I think. Three Maybe weeks three weeks ago. ago. Yeah. Up at East Chase uh, just, uh, Gin East Distillery. Chase. Yep. And now you're in the studio mm -hmm. on a beautiful sunny Sunday afternoon. And this is about as light-hearted as the conversation you get. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, you were talking. You were talking on the icebreaker. Welcome, by the way. Thank you. Well, uh, we were talking on the icebreaker, and you were talking about mindset that gets you. That is. That is. Uh, that is the sort the, the optimal mindset to have to get through combat situations. I'm going to say contact situations with civilians. Combat situations. You're in the shit. You're getting shot at. You're shooting at people. The optimal mindset. Talk to me more about that. What do you think that is? That mindset that that creates a warrior mindset. It's a warrior mindset. Like mm. when you think about the when you, the, the, the 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 best fighters out there, the best soldiers, sailors, aviators out there, who are in those situations and who you've worked with, there is a common mindset. I think that they have. I think it's a minimal amount of people have it. Um, what is that mindset? What do you think on that? So we're, when we're talking about mindset, are we talking about specifically in combat or just generally? Combat. Combat. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, for me, like you hear it spoken about a lot, you know, the mindset in combat. For me, it, it's, you know, so much to do with the environment. You know, when, you know, rounds are coming in, you know, people are literally dying. It's... It's the environment that kind of brings you into that super focused kind of, you know, mindset where, you know, because it is life and death, you can just solely focus on exactly what needs to be done at that exact moment in time, if that makes sense. Focus is one thing, so that's part yeah. of it, I think. And then, but what about knowing what to do correctly? What needs to be done? What shouldn't be done? I what is the mindset? What does it look like? Like, think about, describe, in fact, what is your mindset? In On the iceberg, you spoke about a, a, a real bad situation in the mountains. You know, someone uh, got really badly injured. Someone else got killed. Um, what was your mindset then? Describe it. Describe the focus. Yeah, so like... You were assaulted as position. Sort of, yeah, so... Uh, I guess for the people that can't see the icebreaker. Um, yeah, it was the first sort of job I was on um, after I joined Special Forces. Um, and some a team was clearing a bunker position. first job, was it? Very first job. Was yeah, it? Yeah. First mission? First oh, mission, right. yeah. Okay, yeah. interesting. Right. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. And it was, um, yeah, and some a, a team had gone up to clear a bunker position up in the mountains and the rest of the... The rest of us are sort of down below, sort of um, watching um, about 50, 75 meters up the mountain. Um, so air had gone in. So God, I keep, keep remembering, I need to make this, put this in civilian terms. Um, the gunship had fired in. Airstrike, um, helicopter. Airstrike, yeah, yeah. Airstrikes had gone into the position um, and, you know, a lot had gone in. So kind of you know sort of thinking yeah they're they're done no one could have survived that kind of sketch um and when they're about 50 75 meters up these two pkms so machine guns just opened up on the team um how big was the team so there was uh there was four of them four of them going to clear the position your team no 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 so i was still i was down at this time um oh there's four going up okay four so going up yeah, yeah. 
And um, so, yeah, they got opened up on. And as always happens in situations like that, the radios go down. So no one has a clue what's going on up there. Like there's no no communications whatsoever. And we're eventually just getting sort of, you know, broken messages back. Like, um, yeah, we're, we're taking casualties. You How know. far away were they? So at that point, they're about 200 meters away. What was the terrain? So it was like... It was sort of fields, like farmed fields. But I was so after it, um, after the radio transmission came across, obviously there's a casualty. It was like, right, it, like I got ordered just to, you know, with, with a medic, just, you know, get there and, you know, get up and just see what's going on. Um, so it was like this mad dash across this open ground. and But the fields were like, um, yeah, it was like boggy sort of, you know, and you're, you're carrying a lot of kit. Like, um, so it was, yeah, mad sprint across. Um, no idea what's going on and um at the, at the base of the mountain my friend was there he'd been shot eight times um took mainly to the legs and one to the arm one had hit his helmet um and he he, he survived somehow was he, was he conscious he was conscious at this point yeah and he um he though the painkillers they use is uh ketamine he was in a great place, <laughs> bizarrely. On. Yeah, like he was. He thought he was somewhere else. You know, like he didn't. Had no idea where, where he was or anything. Yeah, talking like loudly, shouting, laughing. Um, but um, so left him, and because there was another bloke still up there. Um, but because we couldn't put any fire up the mountain, we had to wait for the gunship to come back in orbit to put fire in, so we could advance. So, you know, waiting for, you know, this gunship to come round and you, you know how it is, you know, every second feels like a, an eternity when you're, you know, the, the fire's still going um, and you know your, your your mates are up there. But, you know, eventually this the gunship just opened up and it was like, you know, the whole mountain, you know, just erupted. You know, the whole night just turned red with the, you know, the shells because I think the... Oh, is it nighttime as well? Nighttime, yeah. Oh, yeah, right, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, so, okay, yeah, okay, night, okay. yeah. So, yeah, and it like completely like whited out the you know on the nbgs so I had to flip them up and just you know everything just you know lit up which was obviously our signal to you know advance up and sort of getting closer and closer thinking yeah you know some something's not right here because you know <laughs> we're already too close like just at the bottom of the mountain um and you know still getting closer about 10 15 meters away and obviously that's when i first saw the other guy who we're going up to get um yeah, I saw him straight away, and you could just see in his face that he was he was dead. Um, one of the rounds had, you know, gone through his femoral artery. So, unfortunately, he, you know, bled out and died before anyone could get to him. And then, the, well, that that job was pretty much just then, you know, dragging his his body back down down the mountain. There was um, three of us that did that. Um, and yeah, so obviously back to the point of the um, <laughs> the of you know the mindset and the. The focus, like I, I don't know, just when, when you're in those situations, it's in a bizarre sense very easy because it's just you just have total clarity on what needs to be done. You know, when when we're at the bottom of the mountain, it's just like okay, we're just waiting for the gunship to open up. As soon as that opens up, we're just advancing forward. You know, we'll whatever happens happens and we'll react to it. But you know, you know, our buddy's up there, so we've got to go and get him. There's you know, there's no two ways about that. And sort of when you get to him, obviously. It, wasn't a desirable situation, um, but then it's just like, well, we need to get him down. There's, you know, again, it's black and white. Um, so yeah, and it's just that, you know, that sole focus and yes, like you, 
like I was saying before, it's like you're you're existing on a, a higher level almost. Just that you know the the, the adrenaline, the the situation, the you know the. I think I don't know. I feel like a lot of it's like quite primal, you know, as humans. When you're put in those situations, you have to, you know, it's not like it's not me deciding. All right, I need to up my game here. It's natural, like it, it you know, and it, that focus just it just happens, you know. Um, yeah, that that was kind of my take on it. Yeah, I think I agree. It's like it is. I, I agree with you. It's primal. It's probably a. It, sorry, sorry. Uh, some people might get offended, but. I think it's a, a state of mind that only men are capable of doing, because mm -hmm. of, because of the impact, the chemical impact, or, or the or the impact that hormones and testosterone and stuff has on on the brain and what it does, and that's why men, you know, that's why we have aggression and things. It's this it's for like aggression is for a reason. We have that for mm -hmm. a reason. It's 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 a it's it's an evolutionary thing. Like we need it, as in the human race needs mm -hmm. men of or did. Need men to have aggression, be able to do these things and focus because of what testosterone does. Gives you mm. massive, well, you know this, massive injections of energy, massive level of focus, like laser-like focus. Mm. What testosterone does, it's it's one of the main reasons why men are better at things like sports than than women and like fighting than women because the, the our ability to generate testo that testosterone and mm. laser-like focus gives us that, but. It's not entirely primal, I don't think. Because if it was only primal, then we we we, we wouldn't know. We wouldn't have. We we would forget about things like tactics, being taught tactics and strategy and weapons. So yeah. I think. So I've I've thought about this as well, and my kind of take on that was just the training that you go through, the relentless training that it kind of rewires your. So that you know that primal instinct is rewired almost. That, you know, like when you do hear the, you know, the crack of a gunshot go over your head, it's not normal to return fire. It's normal to, you know, just, just, you know, try and become part of the ground and just get away from it because, you know, you know, in the powers of Marines, you know, any infantry regiment, you just drill. You know, you, you know, the reaction to contact is you return fire. I wouldn't say that's a, you know, it's not a normal thing, but because you drill it. So when these situations do arise. You know, you fall back on the the training then almost. So, does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's like yeah. uh, it's it, it's. It, I, I I agree completely. It's like it, the training conditions you to know what you can do, right? The options available to you, and know what you fucking shouldn't do. Like mm. absolutely shouldn't oh, yeah, do, yeah, should yeah. not do. It like it it changes the parameters. So when your primal instinct kicks in, and your adrenaline is pumping because of a another. Not any of that. Whatever situation, then your parameters are that which allow you to survive that new mm. military situation. I think that's the case. Oh, definitely. Because there's, you know, there's. I've got memories or lack thereof of, you know, if you're coming under contact and the next thing you know, you've put half a mag down, you're in cover, and or you put a whole mag down, you're in cover, and you're doing a mag change. And you don't really remember what, like, sort of, it was just, it. yeah, like, and luckily, because, you know, where I was, you see it on the, the feed afterwards when you go back, because, like, you, you're like, fuck, did I, did I return fire quick enough there, what was I doing, but you see it, and it was, yeah, yeah. you know, it's just. And you, you watch, like, interviews and stuff with people, or think of your own reactions, or actions on stuff where, you know, you've been um, commended or whatever, for whatever happened, or someone's been commended, like, a there's living VC winners, for example, MC winners. You know, just mm. people, and they talk about it, and you, and, and, and you, and they're asked about. Oh, 
So why did you do that? And they, they, they struggled to explain why. Because to them at the time when they did it, they're just doing what they were supposed to do. It's not like a, they weren't making conscious decisions to put their own life at risk. They, it's below consciousness. When, when, when in all situations and contact situations, as you know, you haven't got time to think. Mm. Like, not consciously think, no, oh, yeah. should I do this or should I do that? You know, yeah, that's, that, yeah. that's like yeah, yeah. the platoon commander's job at the back with, you know, who, who's, who's making yeah, a yeah. combat estimate or whatever. But as a, as a, as, as the teeth at the front of the unit engaging with the enemy, you don't have time. You're just mm. making decisions on the fly. Yeah. On the yeah. fly. Which is, you know, military training is, it, it is a, uh, it's a brainwash, right? It's, it's a, it's a brainwash, but yeah. rightly so. <laughs> when you, it, when, but, but it's, I don't know. I feel like when you say brainwash, you're talking about beliefs. I wouldn't say it's a belief system that that oh, well, no, I would I say don't. it's more of a rewiring yeah, of yeah, yeah, like yeah. than 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 a brainwash. Um, so yeah, I think a, a lot of people are. Oh, you join the military and you're just brainwashed, and you're just like, well, I don't know. They were never telling me any yeah, ideologies or beliefs. It's about. just like yeah, it's you know. They don't know what they're talking about. I got a I got a a uh, uh, a person who well a family member. And they said, uh, they said on Twitter maybe, and it's like something like uh, British soldiers are just brainwashed to uh, just just they get told to kill and they'll just kill. <laughs> it's like you know, and you know, and 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 yeah. uh, and, and I've got another cousin. In fact, I need to, I need to try it because one of them listens to the podcast, and it's and it's not her. Yeah, right, okay. guy, right? And we had this. I had the conversation with her, and. Uh, and it's like no, it's not. It's not the way it is. It's not the way it is. It's like we're we're conditioned to follow orders when we're told to follow orders, but we're also given the leeway to say fuck off to yeah, the orders yeah. if well, we don't I mean, think it's, it's lawful. Obey, it's like, all, obey all lawful orders is oh, the, a good point. Yeah, obey yeah, all lawful yeah, orders. So. It's like uh, you know, it's like um, like the, the the best example of that is. There's a saying. Who's who said this? Um, um, who, oh, what's the saying? Men who fire, uh, a man who fires in anger is a man of straw, or something. Oh, no, a man who fires it. In essence, it's a man who fires at an unidentified target is a man of straw. So if you're pulling the trigger and just firing towards something you think is the enemy without actually seeing the enemy or identifying them, you're a man of straw. It's like you just pulling the trigger to make yourself feel better. Your bullets aren't doing the what you think they need to do. They could be hitting anyone, basically. Mm. Have you heard that before? What is the saying? Anyway, so it's like, uh, you know, you as I was always taught, even before I became a sniper, it's like, you don't, you pull the, you only pull the trigger when you've got a clearly identified target. A clear, there are exceptions mm. to this rule. I know there are. I know there are, right? Yeah. In certain circumstances. But generally, you only pull the trigger when you've got a clearly identified target, right? That's yeah. predominantly what it is. What? Oh God! Here we go. So don't first, don't incriminate yourself. I'm not going to incriminate myself. <laughs> joking. Oh, maybe I am. <laughs> Herrick Twelve was um, you know, that whole tour was like I didn't see. Be there as a bootneck or as a bootneck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you you didn't see the enemy. Where once. were you? Uh, Kajaki and Sangin. Okay, where in Sangin? Oh, in Sangin, so, DC. Sangin, DC. Okay, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Um, 
And it's like that whole tour was pretty much, you know, the everywhere was just saturated with IEDs. So, like, the, the tactics became, or, like, basically went down to basically the front two men with essentially a metal detector, you know, in front of the rest of the multiple. And so you're just patrolling Fucking at a snail's pace. Um, yeah. You know, I, went out I was out at 13. My last, uh, so yeah, my last Afghan tour yeah. was 13. So it must have been like that then. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, just patrolling at a snail's pace. You can never move outside, the, you know, the barmer lanes that we called them. And, you know, that whole six months, I never saw the enemy. Not once. You're lucky if you saw a muzzle flash or dust getting kicked up. Most of the time, it was just, you know, the rounds going over your head. And a lot of the time, you had no idea where it was coming from. Like in Sangin, I think from our patrol base, like foot patrols, we never patrolled more than a couple hundred meters, three, four hundred meters away from the patrol base, just because we couldn't. You know, because you're patrolling at this snail's pace. Um, and then... You know, they're point. just, uh, you know, the fire would come, like, there was sometimes we, we got contacted that? from what felt like back from our patrol base, yeah. you know, just because of all, you know, the compounds that have been destroyed and, you know, the snipers, you know, snipers and IEDs was was the threat. It wasn't like, you know, but by that point, you know, the early Herricks where, you know, it, it did sound more like kinetic sort of warfare. By this point, it was just IEDs, snipers, sharpshooters. You'd be lucky if you ever saw like like I said, like a, a muzzle flash. So it's then like, what can you do? Like, you know, you, oh, no, you no, have to I, put I, fire, I know. you know, you're getting fired no, at, you can I'm, see kind I, of yeah, like... That's uh, a point, that's why, that's why I said, you know, except in circumstance where yeah. you can't identify the target, you know, and, and the, you can legitimately fire things that aren't, you can't identify the target to the, to the point you're making, right? But it, within mm. a circumstance, like you wouldn't do it with a fucking civilian. Oh no, no, but, no, no. That was course, the case, yeah. mate. That was the case. I, I, I feel lucky in a way that I, I did, I did, I did, I did three tour, three Afghan tours over the. Do you want some water? Um, there's yeah. water in the fridge there. Go in the, go in the, go in the, in the, bo in the bottom and want to grab one of these cups. Uh, there's a big bottle of water in there. Uh, so I did a, I did the first one. So. Uh, yeah, got I did the first one, and then the one in the middle. So I did 06, 08, and then 2010 to 11. So I saw that change in oh, okay, the way right. they were engaging us, and it was. It was the first one was fucking like small arms. It was you know, and then they quickly realised that they weren't very good at. Like we British forces are really good. <laughs> we are really good. <laughs> if you try and attack us with rifles and normal things like normal warfare, we are actually really good at fucking yeah. you up. <laughs> you will not win. You will not win. And that's when they switched to IEDs. And interestingly, to your point, they switched to using snipers. Mm. Interesting, because that didn't happen in Iraq. Iraq switched to IEDs, right? But it didn't incorporate snipers. Not. Not against the Brits anyway. I'm not sure I can't speak to the Americans, but it didn't really do it against the Brits. It was only IEDs. But in Afghan, it did. They incorporated snipers. They really interested. Interested in a nightmare. Right, come back to your career, <coughs> if we can. <coughs> if we can. You, you, when you got into SF very young in your career, is that fair to say? Three years, bootneck. So three, you're only in three years, and they went. Yeah, so it's about yeah, about really. That, yeah. So yeah, I joined. I went to Limston in 2008, obviously, and passed Marine training, and joined 40 Commando in 09. 
um, and then went on Herrick 12 in 2010. And so whilst I was on Herrick 12 on that Afghan tour, so yeah, we're, we're up in the mountains, I'm in Kajaki. So on sale one night, it was like you know, two in the morning and you know, the shifts were, <laughs> they were at the time you think, yeah, this is, this is easy. Cause you've just been through like, you know, recruit training and you know, it's freaking awful. So, you know, you're doing like four hours on six hours off, um, you know, four hours on sort of sentry duty, six hours off. But in that six hours, obviously you've got to go across the other mountains to get water and food. You've got to sleep. You've got to, you know, still exist and stuff. So you don't really get any time off. You're, you know, you're exhausted the whole time. So, where were you, where, so on the Kajaki Hill, in the, in which the, one were you at? In the, oh, was it? You had Sparrowhawk, Normandy and Athens. Athens and Sparrowhawk yeah. we were on. There wasn't, um, I don't think, not, I think they'd shut down Normandy. Because it was, so which was the one furthest away? Again. Sparrowhawk. Sparrowhawk, yeah. yeah. So yeah, it was that one. And then Athens was the first one that you come up to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is the... Pretty sure. This particular yeah. Athens, yeah. Um, just looking out into the... I think that was the case, no. Looking, um, I think north. Which way was the green zone? Because <laughs> it was the other way to the green... It was the other way to the green zone. Okay. Hang on. A bootneck has <laughs> asked me, a bootneck has asked the power guy which way the enemy are. Yeah, you know, yeah. Which way the green well, zone? Well, they're, they're everywhere, man. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so you had the green zone, and then you had the... Which way was that? I'm going to sound like that. Let's just say it's north. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah but um, anyway, yeah, so they're just exhausted, like, two in the morning, trying to stay awake, and, and you hear these, like, helicopters coming in. And you just, oh, you know, wake up, and you're like, oh, what's that? They go straight into there, because you're north into the desert. We never patrolled into, because the rifles on the previous tour had, like, a god-awful experience of trying to sort of push that way. They just hit a belt of IEDs. They got ambushed and opened up on, and it was an absolute nightmare for them. So pretty much off the back of that, our yeah, sea was just... was the town. If I remember off of my head now, right? Bringing you this podcast today are the Aardvark Group. Founded in 1982, Aardvark has established itself as a major player in its field. Renowned for its exceptional technology and innovative propositions that have supported countless defence ministries, the humanitarian and NGO sectors, and commercial operators in theatres of war and post-conflict environments around the world. Aardvark is foremost a humanitarian organisation working to help rid the world of the explosive remnants of war. Their technologies are uniquely developed by operators for operators, which ensures that every product, system or platform that they provide conforms to the essential criteria of stability, survivability and reliability. Aardvark know that to have a truly lasting, positive impact, their technologies must be cost effective. So they've commissioned a number of projects with their research partners to develop technical innovations with the core aim of delivering affordable solutions that can be deployed directly into communities to reduce the incidence of accidents and deaths due to explosive threats. Aardvark are headquartered in the UK with offices in the United States of America and the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. You can find out more about them by going to aardvark.group, not just about the products and services they provide, but also about the incredible work they do to support the military community and military charities. Go to their website, aardvark.group, or find them on social media, the Aardvark Group. East was the town. Normandy, Athens and Sparrowhawk ran from generally south-southwest to north-northeast that way. So it was like, if you're going to... 
if it was if you were going yeah. to choose north, west, east, or south, they ran sort yeah. of south, north. I think that way, well, a bit of an angle. If, in fact, on the only ways you could look from Athens was back onto the dam or out towards the enemy the other way. Yeah, so across the river. Yeah, it was, yeah so yeah. northeast, he was looking across all the dashed. Few little. There was the garage. People who people haven't been there. I fucking clue on about. These helicopters come in. They go to this like. You hear them like flying into this area that you know we can't go because it's too too dangerous. Was Kajaki John there then? Kajaki, Kajaki John. Who <laughs> <laughs> is Kajaki? You know, it's a real person. He's dead now. He's Kajaki a John and Kajaki Mike, and they were occupied. <laughs> what are you laughing at? It's just a fun. It's just a Kajaki fun John and Kajaki Mike. They were CIA guys. Okay. They occupied the compound at the bottom. You know, next to the. I, uh, I don't recall a Kajaki. Yeah, John got killed. Mike's oh really? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I feel bad for laughing Yeah, we well, feel bad for laughing now. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, but no, no, so... That <laughs> was a... Uh, I came out of the blue, I didn't... <laughs> anyway, go on. But, um... Yeah, helicopters. Yeah, they come in and, you know, they, they land and, you know, pretty much as soon as they land, there's a big firefight and they're scrapping for about an hour and then the helicopters come back in and pick them up and they, you know, you know, fuck off. Um... Next morning, I was like, "Oh, you know, what happened? Who was that? Like, was it, you know, Delta? Was it SAS?" And but one of the lads' brothers was in the SBS, and turns out he was on that raid, and oh. you know, so that was them. And so for me, it was kind of just like, "Well, it's quite simple. I just need to join the SBS now because you know that's like, yeah, and you know, here's me, you know, Tip like, yeah, yeah, doing like four, you know, these." You know, 14-hour patrols just waiting to get ambushed most of the time, and you know that's the only excitement you're getting. If you know, so you know, otherwise it's just a 14-hour back-breaking patrol with you know your full day sack of GPMG link. Um, these guys just flying back and yeah, to wherever they're at. Um, so yeah, pretty much off the well during that tour, I decided that you know I was going <clears> to. <throat> Go for selection. Um, and me and a friend who I was in the troop with, we on that tour put in for a briefing course um, whilst we're on tour. And yeah. So. What's it like within the unit? So I know from a Power Edge perspective what it's like to for someone to go and uh, want to say, hey, I want to join the SAS. And, uh, and they get told, you can't fucking do that. You can go for selection though. What's it like within the bootnecks? Um. So, uh, so. Oh. I think it's very character dependent. Like it, it depends a lot on. I think generally it's it's pretty good, um, at, at like the troop level. Um, troop being how big? Um, Thirty blokes. So like a platoon. platoon like, yeah. Generally, like the lads and are pretty supportive. But I had um I was fortunate. I had a troop sergeant who because I was sort of talking to him on that tour because he's like you know so what do you want to do you know you need to put in for a specialization. Um, what do you mean? Oh, so yeah, I forget that you, you, not every... I'm from the real army, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The real fighter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean you got to put in for So, yeah, the, the thing with the Marines is you've got all these different specialisations. Yeah. Um, so, you know, mortars, anti-tanks. We have that. Chef, clerk. We don't have that. Um, well, yeah. We have the army, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, you've got all those. And if you don't sort of put in for something, you can just get pinged for something. Like I'd be, 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 you know, voluntold that you know that's what you're doing. And you so never... let me just understand this, right? Genuinely, gen so yeah. not taking the piss. So I joined the army. Mm -hmm. I joined, and I said, "Oh, I want to join the pirates, please." Mm -hmm. Right? And I joined the pirates. Well, no, no, no. Did you say it like that? 
probably, yeah, probably <laughs> back then, yeah. And uh, and I went and I passed the selection and all that, the, mm. uh, the P company selection, and got in and joined the Paris, right? Mm -hmm. And so I joined as an infantryman, mm -hmm. a, a base level, or a paratrooper, right? Other people joined and went, oh, I want to be an engineer, oh, I want to be a driver and they joined the logistics regiment mm -hmm. or logistics corps or engineer corps or mm -hmm. corps engineer oh engineer corps right so you join up and you select at the start what you want to do and then you hopefully you're success successful in getting into that vocation you want to do that is not the way marines works is it no it's Tell like, me them. slightly different so you join the marines and then uh yeah you, you Spend uh, so it's changed a lot now here. So I can only speak about how it was when I was in. And basically, you you sort of join and you'll go in as what they call general duties. So essentially, you a marine doing, you know, infantry work. So everyone um, joins. So everyone joins, and when you pass training, yeah, you're going as GD you, you, general you, duties. Everyone yeah. is always straight away a marine. Yes. Yeah. yeah. In a infantry unit. Yes. Uh, so obviously the fine years are again these are changed now but when i was at 40 42 and 45 so generally speaking you, you'd go there okay. um and yeah then so normally after about three years you kind of have to specialize years three yeah, oh right three years. Okay. so you specialize months. okay yeah. oh no no yeah so about three years so everyone basically most people for three years then yes so you were telling me that a chef in the Marines, has probably soldiered for three years, probably. Yes. They could have done tours as yes. a soldier. Yes. As a... So holy just, shit. So... I like that. Well, the chef probably didn't. No, but, <laughs> uh, but I like it. In so, gym. Oh, go on. so, yeah, so back back for me, I, I was <coughs> at the back of this tour, I decided to um, yeah, put in for the briefing course. Luckily, I passed it because that ring fenced me from my specialization drafts that I've been told and they gave me a choice actually I had the choice between a chef or a clerk so why were you why did they select you because oh, of my bacon frying mass. skills yeah I was all over cooking that no it's well it's like I said is you know there's the good drafts so, you know <laughs> heavy tanks anti-weapons anti-weapons anti-tanks um heavy weapons those kind of specializations which generally everyone goes for so you never really get pinged for those ones obviously no one wants chef or clerk so they're the ones you get like voluntold that yeah that's what you're doing which I think is a tragic waste of putting someone through 32 weeks of Royal Marine Commando training to then three years in, put them as a chef or a clerk. It's, uh, I don't know, mate. It's value in having chefs and clerks who have done three years of soldiering. Why? Because they know what the people they are serving or providing the service to mm. have done. But do, is that, do, and, they, do they need to know? Is that no? They don't need. For example, to, like I, don't, a, I don't think they need to know, but it mm. makes them. It makes them more relatable. Well, one thing I would say is that what we always saw is the like army clerks were generally a lot better because they were people that joined wanting to do that specialization, so they're actually good at it, rather than someone that wanted to soldier who wanted to fight who's then been told he needs to be a clerk. That's a great point. About, yeah, that is a great point. It's yeah. probably not made that for is a great point, yeah. Administerial duties that like that. Point. Um that's a great point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I get it, yeah. Yeah. And 
certainly it doesn't feel too great like when <laughs> all you want to do is soldier to be told yes sorry buddy for the next three years but you know for, it kind of worked well for me because it was like dear god i need to pass the election now because <laughs> i did not come here to uh yeah to sort people's paychecks out or cook bacon does did, did, did most people want to go for selection in next sp um no no i wouldn't say most um I think, oh well, Marines certainly provide a very dispro disproportionate um, sort of, you know, level of manpower for, you know, given their size of like 1.5% of the overall military. Um, I think, obviously, the, it varies, but I think, uh, you know, it's anywhere between, they then provide to SF anywhere between like 40 to 50% of the manpower. Um, yeah, but hang on a minute. And I think. Hang on a minute. That's the way you're presenting those stats. Mm -hmm. I'm just sitting here with my mm -hmm. pirate shoes on, mm -hmm. boots on, and my. I'll come to the wrong place to come out with that stat, don't I? Yeah, well, it's <laughs> misrepresentative. Why? Because SBS makes up 50% of. No, 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 wrong. 33.3% maybe if, of, the, of the special forces units we know. Mm. They make up a third of them, right? SB. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And SB is overwhelmingly populated by bootnecks. Mm -hmm. well, I could say the same stat about Power Reg and say Power Reg provides, I don't know, I'm going to pull this figure out of my ass, 30%, I'm going to say 30% because less, 30% of overall UK special forces and make out like that's because Power Reg is amazing. We are amazing, but that's not the overriding reason why it's 30% of. No, I think half the reason why the Marines provides uh, more I, I wish it does research. is because a lot of the uh, they get told they need to be chefs for years into their careers. I'm either leaving the military or selection stuff. Chef or special forces? What's it going to be? <laughs> No, but that's I've generally thought that because you know you join and because this was something that was alien to me like you're like what specializations when I was like meeting paras and stuff properly and talking to them for the first time I was like what you join the paras and then you just soldier for your whole career yeah. so well, that sounds it good. used to be like it used to be like that power reg used to be like what marines was like oh okay then it used to be provider but they realized lads were absolutely fredders yeah we <laughs> we move with the times mate oh okay then yeah, yeah. <laughs> not like you lot when was the navy formed um Fucking sixteen sixty six or something like that. Oh, Ancient, yeah. wasn't it? In fact, you're drinking from a Sailor Jerry's uh, cup. Nineteen forty nine. This says. That's Sailor Jerry's, not <laughs> Navy. Provided by a Navy person. Yeah. You're gonna pour some gin. Yes. Would you like some? Would like some. Yeah. Would like some. Um. What was your experience starting a business outside of the military compared to starting it inside? How much are you pouring now then? Jesus Christ. Compared to starting it inside the military. Um, so I mean, you started I was, HMG when yeah, you were serving. I started you started Harry Gin when you left. So actually, the you know East Chase Distillers has you know it's been about six years in the making. So very much the oh you mentioned the, this when I met you yeah, distiller actually that surprised so, me yeah. A lot to do with, you know, setting, like, a, a lot of the initial setup was, um, you know, with my business partner, Luke, was, um, you know, that was done whilst I was still 
still serving. Um, I, I, like it was like setting up HMG while I was serving. It was it was kind of good because it wasn't like when a lot of people set up a business and it's kind of like dear God, I need to make this work because I need to pay the bills. Like, obviously, you could kind of do it at your own time, your own pace. Like, you know, there wasn't that pressure on you could, you know, you could make mistakes because, you know, ultimately, you weren't reliant on the revenue from the, um, you know, from the company. So, in that sense, you know, it was, I think it was, you know, good, I think that's a good way to set up a company when you've already got a, you know, a, a stable source of income um, so you can kind of find your feet if that makes sense I agree with you I agree not 100% but but just thinking about that there that there maybe, I mean but bear maybe. in mind so HMG is like an online clothing company so you know I'm not talking about like you know like a huge multi-million pound sort of venture in setting up a new company um, no, you know for like a small venture no but it's yeah. popular and it it makes you enough money to be significant so that if you if it stopped today you'd be like oh oh no of course yeah now yeah but certainly like you know the first year or so is you know real difficult sort of getting getting it out there but not having that stress of like god you have sales targets i need to meet you know this amount of sales each each month you can just do it at a sort of you know a pace that you know isn't reliant on or you know, it's not going to stop you putting a roof over your head, basically. I think that's it? valuable, right, if it's the first business venture. Yes. I think that's yeah, valuable. yeah, definitely. But if it's, yeah. uh, if it's something down the line where, if it's something down the line where you, you, you've been serious with it and you think, well, not, not being serious, wrong wording, but if it's something down the line, it, 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 there is a risk of you not paying it enough due diligence and attention and focus mm. so that you allow imperfections because mm. you can afford to yeah as opposed to focusing on not having the imperfection having perfection and making it as as profitable as possible mm. uh and as resilient as possible and you know long term uh yeah and and it's yeah it's, it's long term what's the word likely to last and long term as possible uh, because you're reliant, like there's, there's a thing that you said about being reliant on something for mm. your revenue, or for you. Yeah. No, never mind revenue. The revenue, but reliant on it to provide you what you need to survive: yeah. live, house, money, car, mm. food, water. Yeah. School. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. So, but, so, and you, you, talk, yeah. you, you learnt your business acumen with HMG then. Oh yeah. And now you're applying those lessons with. Heritage Gin. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. Definitely. So you know, a lot of it was you know the, the marketing of it all. That's um, you know, and you know, using utilizing social media, um, you know, to to market the product. Um, and you know, done a few sort of like courses as well. Um, sort of in you know during that time. Um, because you know when I started HMG, I didn't you know didn't even have my own social media account. Knew nothing about business. Knew nothing about marketing. It, they weren't even areas that I've ever been interested in but you know had the idea for HMG and because of that it's like well how can I how can I get this out there and that is well essentially learning business and learning how to market your sort of ideas um, so yeah definitely learned a lot by simply just doing it you know messing up 
and sort of learning from your mistakes and just yeah carrying on i said i'm talking from the perspective of someone that's you know com like was completely ignorant to everything about sort of starting and running a business so for someone like me doing it in that kind of um environment where you're not reliant on the sort of the, the income from it was a good way of doing it because it you know it wasn't just starting a business it was like a learn it was learning on the job kind of thing yeah. um so it, it yeah to for someone like me to say leave the military and then start hmg would be a pretty stupid move because you know wouldn't have known anything like uh, about it people do it they don't know any better people do it mm. yeah so why oh you left because of your hearing didn't you yeah medically discharged because of the uh yeah the hearing what's that yeah. like i was in getting told you gotta fuck so uh, it's an interesting one actually i need this oh second it's still rolling okay i'll cut it no. Right, we are back, we're rolling, and uh, I'm just gonna make that this uh, the gym in all seriousness. I know I said it to you before, I'm gonna say it on air now though. I can't believe how smooth it is. Like, I can drink the straight mm. and not even have a you know, like you, yeah, you know, like when you drink uh, yeah, a, really, yeah. a whiskey and you, you go, oh god, it makes you makes your face. Yeah. Up. <laughs> this is like I don't understand. How do you get this? Uh, sorry, we'll come back to yeah. the leaving the bootnecks, oh, uh, yeah. leaving the leaving the military, if you hear him. But how? Why is it so smooth? So how are you managing that? Because I've not tasted some of like this before. It was a long old process to get to the sort of flavour. So in the early days, so essentially the the whole recipe development was from about three years so initially what we did was we just looked at the we, supermarket we, so we, we, myself and my business partner Luke we yep. just looked at the kind of the 20 sort of biggest gin brands that you see on all the supermarket shelves on all the back shelves in bars and pubs you know the sort of ones that you all recognize and we bought them and what we started doing was just blind taste testing sessions so we'd invite people around We'd um, give them about you know five to ten sort of small sips of these before you set the company up. Oh yeah, so this was about also oh, I mean the company was set up I guess, but you know the money hadn't um, I can't remember the exact timelines, but yeah, this was yep. you know, about three years ago. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and basically these twenty gins just started doing these you know blind taste testing sessions where you know people would just score them out of ten, um, having no idea what they were drinking. Um, and basically just yeah collated did that repeatedly and collated all the scores you know or done it enough to get to the point where you actually get some results of what, what we thought what were you trying to do basically find out which gins actually tasted the best because what we you know what we found was that you know some of the biggest brands weren't the uh you know the best tasting gins of what and even interestingly because we used to ask people what their favorite gin is and the amount of times people say, oh, X is my favorite gin, or that's my favorite gin. And when it actually came to them scoring it, they'd always score it super low. So it's kind of like an interesting one on the, the power of marketing. Um, Do you know about that. the wine experiments? I say that like that it's a conspiracy. Uh, uh, these are Becky Burnley, by the way, so I'm, I'm opening. Oh. So if we can hear rustling, I'm opening Becky Burnley for pouring on number white in 96, and now I've got number 197. Look at that, look at that, look at that. You want to eat, if you need eat one of those now, you want to eat to eat for a week. 
You won't shit for a week either. I'll just clog you up. They look in rubbish. a good way, mate. They I look um, so, I did the wine experiments. I guess some X-Files thing. But they did... Uh, they... I don't know who they were. But there was an experiment done years ago. Not experiment. Research done years ago. And they got... Um, it was basically to see what people's palate... To, to test what people's palates are like, were like. And, I, uh, and what they would pay for wine. Long story short... They got in, they got in, um, the organizers of the research experiment, they got in like a bunch of different wines, 20 different wines, ranging from the cheapest wine you can pick up in Aldi, for example, up to the most expensive you can get in, you know, Marks and Sparks or, but basically available to Joe Blocks, mm -hmm. you know, and they had people do a, like you said, blind testing, taste the wine, give it a score. And and yeah, basically give it a score on what they thought how how good quality they thought it was. Mm. And what they found across the board was that there was pe there was no difference in people's perception of quality or, of quality of the wine based on the price of the wine. So so people thought people were, <coughs> there were cheap wines that were really good tasting. Basically, yeah. is my point. Yeah, cheap wines were really good tasting, really good. Yeah. And there were expensive wines that were really shit. Yeah. No. Like it's like so the point being yeah. like the price of a brand or a brand or a mm. price is not an indication of quality. Hit pause. Go to your podcast app. Please leave me a review. Thank you. Mm. Yeah. But people don't realise that. So I think that's yeah. Well it's it's hundred percent something we found during this blind taste testing. Like <coughs> it was interesting to see, oh, this is my favourite, never drink anything else. Then they've scored really low to and then, ironically, to, to to chins, they said they definitely didn't like. Um, oh, really? You know, so I guess yeah. And again, it's just a you know, it's just the power of marketing, I guess. Um, you know, to yeah, to do that. But so we got we got that, and eventually, out of the twenty, we got sort of four flavors that were, you know, and luckily there were the flavors we liked as well. The ones that we scored at the top um, was generally sort of what came at the top. So then. With that, we had like a gin consultant that we'd sort of um, brought on board um, that helped us sort of, you know, build the, you know, he sourced the still from Germany, which is um, going to that because that is a big part of why it's so smooth as well. Gave him the sort of gin. So from that and his like 18 years of experience in the industry, he could sort of build flavor profiles of, you know, the, the botanical mixes. Um, because normally what you do, like you'd just do a couple, but sort of had this idea to, to follow on from this, you know, using lots of variations of it, um, got him to make about seven or eight variations of this, you know, flavor profile. And from that, we then blind taste tested those, um, and found out, you know, which one people liked the most. One came out on top, so we took that and made variations of that and just refined it that way. Um, always getting sort of people in, and so it's not just us drinking it, you know, um, actually getting, you know, other people on board to sort of come up with it. Eventually came to a flavor we liked, and I said, so the, the still that we brought in um, from Germany is like an Arnold Holstein still. They're like a world-leading still manufacturer, and that's a big part in the, you know, the smoothness and the quality of the product is the fact that it goes through that still. Um, so yeah, and then, and then, what's the, what's the process? What is the process? Just 
Well, it's uh, it's actually pretty simple. So it's a three-day process. It'll produce about 850 bottles, 750 to 850 bottles. Um, essentially, the first day is the actual mixing. So the the you know the well, it's not pure ethanol. It's um you know neutral grain spirit. It's about 96% volume will go in. The botanicals will go in. The wall will go in. It'll bubble away, fuse through this copper column, which draws out all the impurities, which is what makes it so smooth. You boil it. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it boils. You boil that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So and it evaporates through the copper column, and that's what draws out all the and mixes it all. It'll then come out and then into another sort of um vat, and then it'll just need to it'll need to mix for a day, um, and then after that you'll bottle it for a day. So it's, you say mix for a day? Does it get rotated? Yeah. So when it's so when it's boiling through, um, sort of the different oils and stuff, it's all coming through at different times. So you couldn't just put a glass under while it's filtering through, because like to begin with, it's like a lot of the citrus flavors that come through. So when when you first like put your finger on the little you know, tap that's coming out and try a bit of it, about eighty six percent. And obviously, because it's eighty six percent, you can only try like a tiny little bit because you don't want to go blind. Um, but it blind? tastes really blind. nice. Blind? What, what do you mean go blind? Well, if you drink 86% volume alcohol. Are you joking when you say go blind? I mean, it can... It well, turn you blind? It can do that stuff to you, yeah. Really? It can it can harm you. <laughs> what, 86%? Yeah, but only for a little, little bit. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's why you just dip your finger oh, right, in it. Okay. Oh, yeah, you're not going to go blind. Just from, Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. You're not putting a cup there and, like, downing it. <laughs> but the first bits are, you know, like, super sitting in it. Like, you wouldn't think it's that. It tastes really nice, like, when it comes through. So it's all the citrusy flavors. Then you get some little earthy notes that come through. And all different flavors are coming through at different points of the distillation process. Hence why you have to mix it for a day. So they all kind of, um, you know, get together. Which is a technical way of saying. Oh, no, yeah. it's interesting. It's my ass. I have no idea how it works. And then, yeah, just the, the next day is the, the bottling it up, um, and then you can stagger that process. So, you know, on the Monday you can start, and then on the Tuesday, whilst that run is mixing, then start another process. On the Wednesday, when you're bottling up that first run and the second run is mixing, you can start the process again. So, you, you can produce a fair amount with the still that we've got. What's the background between you and the business partner? How do you guys know each other? So we are school friends. We yeah, we went to Canada school together, and uh, yeah, remained friends, friends sort of um, throughout like a uh, time in the military. He became a uh, set up his own plumbing company um, after leaving school. Obviously, I joined the military, um, but we stayed sort of good friends, you know, throughout that time. And yeah, just you know, whilst I was still in, had this you know just idea for starting a gin company and completely separate. He had an idea for where did gin come from though? Why not? Hey, it did you was an, an episode of uh, Apprentice, and oh my God. one of the challenges was <laughs> people setting up a gin company. And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely nothing profound. <laughs> but, you know, I really like gin, um, and yeah, it, it, it seemed like a seemed like a good idea at the time, and here I am. So, <laughs> yeah, that, oh, was, that was it. It's good fucking gin, mate. I like him. What, um, why heritage? So, we wanted to sort of create a brand that, you know, we wanted to kind of like tie in sort of like 
you know, kind of with a little bit, you know, keep that, you know, that for that local sort of market, but not anything like, we're never going to call it like Kenilworth Gin. Um, is that Kenilworth Castle on them? It is Kenilworth oh, Castle. I just realised that. Yeah. Yeah. Threw the bottle Castle. over. Just realised that. Sorry, smash it just realised that, yeah, okay. Yeah, and because, you know, so much of, you know, it's, you know, heritage is, you know, based around sort of tradition and stuff. And, you know, the way we sort of produce um, the gin, you know, everything, you know, the bottle is custom made by us, or custom designed by us, sorry. Um, you know, we do everything on site. You know, we produce gin in, you know, a very traditional way. Um, so we kind of wanted, you know, a brand that kind of reflected actually what we're doing. Um, so I guess, yeah, that is the... This bottle says London Dry on it, right? Mm-hmm. Which a lot of gins say on them. Mm-hmm. London, London, London Dry. Explain yeah. that to me. What does that that's mean? That's the, that's the, the flavour. London Dry the is the flavour. The flavour is London Dry. Yeah, yeah. So that'll be like, yeah, your standard gin flavour, London Dry. This isn't standard. It's smooth. It's very smooth. Like, yeah, like so... Smooth it's it's still technically a London dry, um, but yeah, like I said, it's, it's so it's quite floral, quite citrusy, which yeah, a lot of the time it hasn't got that, you know, strong aftertaste that you get with a lot of gins. Hence why you can you know drink it neat. Um, but yeah, this is outstanding. easily drink it neat. It's yeah, not even yeah. a struggle. It's not even a struggle. No. Easily no, drink it's it. Dangerous. Neat. It's, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's still what is it? 40 percent. Forty percent. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's dangerous. But yeah, we're it's about dangerous. to bring out the next flavour, which is going to be a citrus orange flavour. So definitely got a bottle across to you for that. <coughs> well, I need to buy a bottle off you for the giveaway for the patrons. But um, let's uh, let's come back to where we were before I got distracted by your gin, mm. <laughs> which was um, oh leaving yeah, oh medical discharge. Yeah, yeah, oh, mate. What's it like leaving when you don't want to leave? Well, so. <laughs> All my hearing loss came from my time in the Marines. So that Herrick tour, where I was a GPMG gunner, a machine gunner. Um, so at, at this time during the tour, they started um, issuing sort of molded hearing protection. Um, so I did that all before the tour. Good stuff, that. Sorry? It's good stuff, that. <laughs> was it? Was yeah. it? Well, they gave me mine. If you wore it, it was good. They yeah. gave me mine at the end of the tour. So I went through the whole tour. There was you about five. There was about five in the troop who like didn't get it. And you know, as you know, you can't go out and patrol with them like green things on you or like yellow. Well, we never used to wear them anyway. Well, yeah, because we you can't. Anyway. No. But no, so like, well, obviously, just being a machine gunner on no quite kinetic toys, you know, with no hearing protection is not good for your hearing. But there was one time up in uh, up in Kajaki, and it was the Americans were coming in, uh, American Marines. And they're artillery guys, um, so you know they don't man, you know, like heavy machine guns like that. They, not their role. Anyway, the guys on the ground are in contact, so you know, just now fizz getting shorts. You know, we run to explain one the, the scenario. Yeah, got this started like I don't, I don't. Oh, right, the okay, then. So the role up in the up in the mountains, there was um, you know machine gun positions mounted to provide covering fire for guys patrolling out on the ground if they got into um, a firefight so you know one day guys get into a firefight so run to man the gun positions um and you know no time to grab any hearing protection or anything it's literally you know just in shorts you know just get there um another guy got in the gun and i was number two on the gun so it was my job to pretty much just get the box of you know 100 rounds 
put them in the feed tray, load the gun up, and then because I had no hearing protection... Make sure you've got ammunition. Yeah, yeah. And then after that, it was literally just stick my fingers in my ears because it was these old Russian bunkers from... <laughs> from back in the 80s and you know the sound goes nowhere apart from back into your I ear think holes. we were in the same the same trenches really? at different times yeah I was oh. in that same trench those same trenches six years before God, five years before yeah we should hug <laughs> but um but yeah so anyway it was literally a case of yeah getting these boxes on and just sticking and just the the sound from it you feel it in your face it like felt horrendous but anyway this american comes in and he's like oh man what can i do to help i was just like prep those boxes for firing meaning take the lid off <laughs> just, anyway this guy he opened the boxes he took all the ammunition out and just linked the boxes outside Oh, no. So I turn back around and he's there, and there's like 16 kilograms, oh, 100 oh, rounds of 50 cal. Belt of 50 yeah. cal ammo. Yeah. So I was like, oh, for God's sake! You're holding you know? a belt out. So like I was it's having like to hold. A, I was having to like hold the movie. Yeah, like it's a movie. Yeah. yeah, and just having to like you know hand feed the rounds in oh, so no. they're not getting caught, and you know, and put about two, three hundred rounds through, and just after that, like for a week, I was just in a daze because just yeah, and so that that was you know the the rest of the tour didn't help. Um, but that was, you know, that certainly wasn't great either. Um, so anyway, came back off that tour, pretty, pretty deaf. Um, and, uh, put in for selection, past selection. Um, and then I couldn't clear my ears for no diving. No fucking way. You did selection after that. Yeah. Deaf. Well, like, how did you pass the medical? Well, have you ever? I know you passed. <laughs> I just realised that you passed the medical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I passed multiple medicals. Holy shit! So, well, like coming back to that. So, for yeah, joint, and then I couldn't clear my ears for diving, so I had to go um, to the Institute of Naval Medicine for them to look at my ears. And as, as part of that, they do a no shit, you can't bend at hearing test, where the blokes literally they're like staring at you like that whilst you're sort of pressing the button to the beep. So it, well, he decides when the beep goes, so you can't do it yeah. in the normal way that you would. So they quickly found out that I was like really deaf. So then because of that, they started looking at all my old um, hearing test scores. <laughs> like he said to me when he's looking at he was like, yeah, so your hearing's not great. He's like, um, actually, you, you've got the hearing equivalent of, the, of an 86-year-old man. <laughs> and I was there. I was there just like, you know, what? And he was like, you've got the hearing of an oh, what you fucking said. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, more to that. He's like, I noticed you come back from, uh, you know, Herrick 12 in, you know, 2010. And, um, yeah, your, your hearing test scores were really very good. good. <laughs> in, yeah, in fact, yeah. in fact, too good. Like only, only, right. only dogs can score this high. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, I must have had a good day, you know. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, so they found out. Obviously, my hearing was, um, yeah, far below the standard. But and so I like I was. It was looking like I was going to get kicked out of the military altogether at that point. Um, but sort of, obviously, fought tooth and nail to stay in. My biggest argument being like, look, I just passed election. Nothing has come out. Like you look at all the reports, and, and like there's been no questions on you know my ability to soldier. Surely selection should be the test, not what it says on that piece of paper over there. That you know, um, you know, and more to the point, you know, the reactive hearing protection that you get. You know, it, 
you know, you turn them right up and, you know, you can hear, hear not too bad again. Um, thankfully, well, I had a good OC that came in and fought a lot for me to stay in as well. So, you know, a lot of it was down to him, but, you know, thankfully managed to stay in. Um, so when it came to me being medically discharged, you know, part of that was my choice because when they, when they allowed me to stay, it was kind of like, you know, we're happy for you to stay on, but if it sort of gets to the point where, you know, you believe it's, you know, you've had enough, then basically you've got a medical discharge in your sort of back pocket. That is um, fucking crazy, by the way. More news from uh, one of our sponsors. Rugby for Heroes have got their final, their last ever Rugby for Heroes Beer and Gin Festival. It is this year. It is on. It is on the seventh, the 16th and 17th of June. And it is going to be at Old Lemontonians RFC, the venue they've always had the festivals at. Uh, and it's going to be an incredible time. So I don't think I can share the agenda yet but I can guarantee you that you will enjoy it. This is two days of most excellent entertainment. Live music. In fact, there's, others, there's other live entertainment going on. I don't think I can describe that yet either, but you're going to enjoy it. There's a fancy dress theme on the weekend. Um, the best way to keep an eye on what's happening and when and how to get tickets, because it's a free event, by the way, is uh, via at Rugby for Heroes. There's social media, at Rugby, number four, Heroes, Rugby for Heroes. So go, go on there, uh, follow Rugby for Heroes, and then as soon as those tickets pop up, get them. I will see you at the event. And uh, bring everyone. Bring your whole fucking village. Mikey doesn't care. Mikey being the person who's organising the event. Old Glems don't care. The more, the merrier. It's going to be a quality event, and it's going to be the last one. So make sure you're there. Raising money for military charities, rugby, beer drinking, gin drinking, food, entertainment, laughter. Why would you not? Why would you not? Why would you not go? That situation. That is crazy. Yeah. For you to have that. Oh, yeah, that's a gift. Uh, yeah, it was. Um, but so, like, you know, the like shit I, is it is at your death. Regular shit is it is at Like, you know, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a couple of stages yeah. above you. I'm, I'm, when we met at East Chase, when we met. I thought immediately thought, oh, this is good. He's got the same kind of deafness as me, but worse. <laughs> is, I could. He's, know, like, he's like, like me, but shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I bet you're really good at lip reading. I'm not even good at that. Yeah, I just I, I need to get hearing. I reckon it's... you are good at it. You just not, not, not don't realise yet. Okay, I can then. try it, mate. Switch okay. the TV off. I first realised it. Switch the the sound off on TV. Oh, has no I, subtitles. I have subtitles. I have to have subtitles. Yeah, but on, switch yeah. The subtitles off. And but then you, I won't know what's going on. <laughs> you will because you can lip read. You just don't realise it. Okay. Do you have to be watching people's mouths when they talk? Okay. Do you, when people talk, do you have to be watching their mouths? Um. I don't know. I feel like it gets a bit weird if, if, it's, if it's background too much. Yeah, you know? I'm, if it's background noise, like in a, yeah. like in the club, for example, in a pub, mm. I have to be watching someone's mouth move. Or I can't. I don't know what they're saying. Mm. That you lip reading. Switch the sound off on the TV. I'm telling you, you can lip okay. read. Okay, I can, I'll, I can I'll lip read. I'm telling that. you, you can do it. I'll try. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I'll let you know how I get on. Yeah, that's a fucking nightmare. That's a nightmare. I can't really go in. Can't even go to SF with Shahirab. It's a good point because that when that here that molded hearing protection that you're talking about came in, that was a fucking godsend. Yeah, that, that came in on my That's last like, tour. Yeah. Like, I can oh only imagine because it, it blocked the hear it blocked yeah. the bad the, the bad yeah, noise. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. blocked. Yeah, it was reactive. Yeah, blocked the bad noise out. But you know, what do people call it now? 
because earbuds do it now. AirPods do it, don't they? Yeah, yeah, they've got a, d- a degree of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They block the sh- yeah. they block fucking loud noise out, and they they um, amplify. Yeah. Yeah, the stuff you want to yeah, hear. Yeah. That's what that did. Yeah, yeah. I've still got it. That more of the events. Oh, okay. Yeah, so gonna need to find a way to plug into my Samsung. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, because yeah, they tried to get me to sign for it, saying I signed like saying I got it at the start of the talk. I'm not doing that. <laughs> Crazy. But, um, but yeah. So yeah, that was good. Yeah. Crazy. What's it like? Um, how do you find it uh, existing where you're no longer a guaranteed salary? And you are responsible for making your money along with your business partner. What's that like? Um, I think it's it's good. I kind of like the uncertainty. I think it like you know pushes you and drives you that little bit further. You know, if you're comfortable, you know, you know, what have you really got? Sort of, you know, pushing you to sort of like you know try harder and you know really make things work. Um, so it's I think it makes don't know, it's stressful at times, but you know I wouldn't say stress is always necessarily unhealthy um probably more on how you manage it but no i think it's uh it is very different because you know like in the military you just money's not something you ever think about because you know you're getting paid at the end of you know every month um and certainly when you're away a lot you know you're going to be saving a lot of money so it's mm. you know it's uh yeah it's a well, it is nice in, in, in that sense um, that you you never really, or I certainly never really had um, those kind of stresses. Um, but, yeah, I like it. It's, uh, it's nice to do something different, you know. Would you change anything you've done in the past? No. And, oh, sorry, whatever. You said that with conviction. Um, no, yeah, I don't think, um, I don't feel like... Um, Thus far, there's much more I could have really. I certainly don't. There's nothing I regret not doing at the moment in my life. So, is that the question you're asking? Or we thought of? Nothing you regret not doing. What do you regret doing? So, there's. I worded that wrong there. Like, I don't wish I had done something else. Okay. Um. Like, I haven't got that, oh, God, I wish I'd done this, or I wish I'd done that instead kind of thing, if that makes sense. Are you going to keep HMG going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's been, um, with the distillery setting up at the moment, in the process of changing suppliers, it's been a bit of a, you know, difficult to juggle everything at the moment that with, you know, family, um, home life, and then doing some work, um, CP work abroad as well. It's been a lot to sort of juggle, but yeah, no, definitely. Um, HMG isn't going anywhere okay. anytime soon. It's Ali Kit, mate. It's Ali Kit. The gin's good. The HMG's good. It's cool. It's like uh, it's nice to um, it's nice to have. It's nice to know of a. It's good to know of a, and to have another a, a veteran brand in the space, which is I don't know. It just exists for like. The, the roots of the business or businesses, heritage and HMG, the roots of it are like authentic. You know, it's like uh, real stories behind it. You know, there are businesses, I'm not just talking about veteran owned businesses, but there are businesses just, they just exist because people want to fucking make money at the expense of others mm. and there's nothing really behind it. There's no substance, it's just a, it's mm. just a thing and, and there's, a, there's a, a gap to plug and they can do it, but well, that's fine. But when there's substance behind it and a story behind it, it's, it's so much better. 
like uh, Heritage and when it's a fucking great product. Like, you yeah. know, yeah. I keep banging on about Heritage Gym, but since I went and met you at the distillery, we've been banging on about it ever since because I'm not a big, well, I wasn't a big gin person because I didn't like the taste. Mm. Genuinely. That's a fair like reason it. not to be into it. I like gin and tonic. That's mm. all I have. I, I like the taste of gin and tonic. Mm. I'm not a big gin person. I don't like the taste of gin. Right, you know, right. I don't go out and have gin and tonic every night because I don't like it, that. It's just like a, a once every so often thing. But this is so fucking smooth. Yeah, well, no, the the feedback um, thus far has been so know, real positive. It's, it's, been, so yeah, good. it's been good. And it's good as well because, you know, when we're, you know, you're producing it yourself, you design the bowls yourself, so it gets to that point before you actually go to market. So, where are you shipping them out from? Are you shipping them out from the. Yeah, yeah. So, we're, yeah, um, from the from distillery. The, the yeah, there. yeah, yeah. Yeah. When I say, so for people listening, when I say distillery there, well, I'm, I'm, I'm pointing on my head just because it's like 10 minutes away from the studio. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good. It's good. Have you, um, what's next on this? What's next on the radar for Heritage Gym? What's the next step? You got that so, first, yeah. you got London Dry Flay. Flavor profile, yeah. Flavor so yeah, the lemon dry flavor. Right, so yeah, in yeah. a couple of weeks, um, we'll have a citrus orange flavor coming out, and I'll be in an orange bottle. Um, following that, we've got a sort of red berry summer fruits flavor. Um, to follow that, there'll be a sort of apple and rhubarb flavor. We're thinking, and then for Christmas, um, will be a winter berries flavor. So by the end of the year, we're hoping to have five flavors out. Um, so it'll be a nice little, nice little range, and all the all the bottle colouring has been sampled so they're we're happy with where where that's at so it's just um yeah getting the getting the recipes sorted now basically excellent question i meant to ask you right to start where is your accent i cannot put my finger on your accent uh, i cannot do it so uh, I think a bit of it's sort of being in the military, you know, you're in a constant You've got a weird accent. Of, yeah. Have you told it before? But, so I was, yeah, yeah. Yeah, have you times. told it before? You, so your accent's weird. I was yeah. actually born in Australia, so I don't know if that has something to do with it. Go on. Um, <laughs> I reckon so. <laughs> Australia? <laughs> Go on. How are you born in Australia? Not how. Uh, well, I, well, I was going to say to you. I understand like, the mechanics. So my mum and my dad <laughs> were in Australia, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is real weird for me. Do you want me to go further? or? <laughs> so, uh, so you got Australian parents? Uh, no, so they're both British. They moved over there and um, yeah, met over there. Um, so I was born there, lived there for two years, moved back to England for you five speak years. Um, I did at a point, at a time. I would by speak Australian. Do you mean do I have an accent or <laughs> language? <laughs> but, it was a bad joke. Is there an Australian? Oh, I should know that. Um, so I moved back to England for five years. When I was seven, moved back to Australia. And then when I was 12, we moved back to England. So at that age, for a couple of years, I definitely had an Australia strong, Australian twang. But I think it's, yeah, been diluted since. That's the real it is. You say some things, and you, 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 whether it should be like hard Gs or hard Ds, and you're not doing it, you're doing soft <laughs> Gs or soft Ds. I'm like, what the fuck yeah. is going on? What's this guy's problem? Yeah, but it sounds like almost like American sometimes. Oh, really? I, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, parts of it sound American, but oh, it's okay. not. It's not. It's just like a little, what you associate with American, but... Oh, an American accent, yeah, no. Makes me a pleasure. The uh, yeah. generally, well, you know, I like the gin. I'm sure you fucking the gin is fucking great, really good. Oh, thank you. HMG, love the clothing brand. Hope it keeps going. A lot of the people think hope hope is going. You know, it's uh, there's um, there's so many veteran-owned uh, companies out there doing or clothing companies particularly out there that um, 
you're one of the originals, I think. In my mind, you know, you're one of the originals that is out there like a staple, like a, a, a an aspiration. That new, I'm not knocking that there's loads out there or any new ones are going to start. But it's like a look to you. They look to you to go, yeah, that's what I want to be. I want to be one of those kind of, you know, one of those kind of brands. Well, yeah, definitely be a definitely be a compliment if anyone did think that of uh, of of um, HMG. But yeah, because I remember when it started, like all all I was was aware of was was Contact Coffee and Sinitas, which um, started a, a, I think a little bit before a similar time. Um, I think it was a year before. I think. Was it a year? Oh, I was a year before. I just remember where we met. It was a HR4K, HR4K business yes, event. Yes, yes, yes. That's why I just remember where we met yeah, first yeah. time. Yeah, you were there, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. The Sinitas yeah. Guild was there as well. Team yeah. Rubicon UK was there. Yeah, who um, else was there? Yeah, yeah. yeah Contact Coffee yeah. was there. You had a stand, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah you yeah, did. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah. That was, yeah. We did meet there. Sold yeah. a few T-shirts. Yeah, yeah I remember. Yeah. What is it with pool and long hair? Um, that is a good question. Um, so I actually had long hair before I joined the military. Like I, it was like down to here then. Like, uh, um, so fringe. No, <laughs> no. I look. I properly look like a girl. Like into all. Like, you know, like. 80s thrash metal and stuff, and they all had long hair. So I was just like, yeah, I'll just be like those guys, and didn't look like it at all. Just looked like a girl. Um, but obviously, when I decided to join the Marines, it's like, right, gonna need to get a haircut because you know those guys, they don't get it. But yeah, as soon as you join, <laughs> they don't get it. Yeah, like, it's yeah. <laughs> like it's their problem. Like it's their problem. They don't get yeah. it. Idiots. <laughs> Fair fault. <laughs> they are not cool. But yeah, join Paul, and you sort of look around, and you're like, okay, that's the. That's the level that hair can sort of get to now. So <laughs> you can't get away with that in Hereford. No, they. They. I think it's because so get many away people. Much in Hereford. I think it's because so many people in pool do it. So it's like seen as a uh, pool thing. So oh, I don't want to look like them. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I, I reckon it's because it's more. It's smaller. Pool's smaller. It's, it's smaller. I think there's so less. There's less. There's less headshed on camp. You can get away. With, you can get away with more. Maybe. You know? yeah, yeah, I reckon so. I think I don't know, like what? Well, yeah, one of um, the RSM said to me once. Oh no, it was before he came RSM actually. But he was just like, when I'm RSM, I'm going to tell people like you, you're not allowed to get a haircut until I say, like, uh, just uh, <laughs> you know, that, that's a way of like, you know, him inserting his dominance. <laughs> yeah. Just completely flipped turned. Ooh, yeah. scary. <laughs> yeah. You know, your hair's already down here. Like, uh, I mean, okay, I don't think it's going to grow much longer, but. <laughs> Been a fucking pleasure. Um, oh, Heritage Gin website. Yeah, uh, if you head over to eastchasedistillers.com, you'll be able to find it there, and obviously on Facebook and Instagram under East Chase Distillers too. HMG. HMG. HMGclothing.com. Yeah, and same again on Instagram, Facebook, HMG Clothing. It should come up. Yeah. Yeah. Good man. I'll get a bottle off here to give her the patrons. Oh, and, awesome. Yeah. Um, and you are going to be at the Rugby for Heroes yes. Beer and Gin Festival in yes, June. Yes, we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Looking forward to it. Sounds Good. like a great event. Great event. And right, if you're down that way, well, no, if you were down that way, there's a H-hour expedition in the inverted commas road trip. This year we do it every year. This year we're down southwest. Cornwall Peninsula, mm -hmm. we're going to finish up a pool, mm -hmm. we're going to stop into S-Bomb, oh, okay. have a couple of beers and something like that, we start on Friday, so I'll, I'll send you the details for that if you're yeah, up there. Yeah. and then finally, that's it, wait, 
No. Good, well, we could, glad we could do it, mate. Yeah, good luck no, with Heritage. Yeah. And good luck to you and Luke. And um, let's do it again soon. Yeah, yeah. It's been awesome. Thanks. That's it. If you enjoyed this episode, why not become a H-Hour patron? H-Hour patrons get exclusive access to premium content. There are private interviews with previous guests and with this guest that nobody will see except for the H-Hour patrons. So before this podcast was recorded, I recorded an exclusive Q&A, a shorter interview structured around eight questions. All the questions were chosen by patrons beforehand, and that interview is online now for patrons. That happens every time. Patrons also get access to all of the episodes before anyone else. They get advanced viewing of the episodes. And you also get other perks and bonuses. All of the information is on charliecharlie1.com. Just hit the menu item, become a patron. It'll show you everything there, including access to the H-Hour Discord community and private patron-only channels on there. So go to charliecharlie1.com and hit the menu item, become a patron. Easy peasy. Thank you for being a supporter. Subscribe to the channel, and I will catch you on the next episode. Thank you.